Welcome to the Jeff Caven Show, where we talk about the Bible, discipleship, and evangelization, putting it all together and living as activated disciples. This is episode 359, Jesus is no Olympian. Welcome to the show, my friend. This week, coming to you from Greece, we are in the middle of our pilgrimage throughout Greece. Originally, we were going to the Holy Land, but that got canceled due to October 7th, and a good number of the people wanted to go to Greece. And so we're here, and we have been traveling around, and it's it's just so encouraging to to go back to some of these places that are so familiar to us in the Bible, in the New Testament, places like Philippi and uh, Corinth, Paul's letter to the Corinthians 1 and 2, and Thessaloniki, Paul wrote two letters to the Thessalonians. And uh, I really like coming here and going to these places and then taking a more of a deep dive into Paul's writings. Oh, by the way, before I go any further, if you do want show notes from today's episode, I'm going to be talking about about some of the things that I've been thinking about on this pilgrimage. And if you would like the notes and you're not getting them, all you have to do is text my name, Jeff Cavins, that's C-A-V-I-N-S, one word, Jeff Cavins, and you can text it to the number 33777. It's quite biblical, 33777. We'll get those notes to you, and if for some reason you're not getting them anymore, maybe there was a glitch in the tech or something, go ahead, do it again. We'll get you signed up again. Saves a lot of time in writing, or if you are running or driving in the car, we certainly don't want to interrupt you there. Okay, so we have been going around the country and revisiting some of these sites and focusing on the footsteps of St. Paul, and one place... One place really caught my attention, a place I've never been before, but this time we decided to go, and that is Mount Olympus. Mount Olympus, have you ever been there? It's a mountain, the tallest one in Greece, 9,000 feet above sea level, and it is the home of the 12 major gods in the pantheon, in Greek mythology. Greek mythology is is interesting in that there are all of these so-called gods with a small g, gods, and each one of them is responsible for certain areas of life, and they have their strengths and weaknesses. And uh, for the most part, they, they stem from some kind of relationship with Zeus. Now, the reason I find this so fascinating is that most people would, would say, well, Jeff, I don't... I don't worship Zeus, and I don't worship Apollo or Artemis, or I don't worship Athena or, uh, you know, any of these other gods, Hephaestus, for example, or Hermes. But when you look at our lifestyle in the West, many times we make gods out of the things that these 12 gods were known for. And so, In a way, we have created modern Greek gods, a modern pantheon that we pay homage to and we buy and purchase and spend our time talking about without even realizing that there were actually Greek mythological gods that people believed in. Some didn't, but some did, and some still believe that those gods 
are alive. Now, where was their home? Well, their home was at the top of Mount Olympus. And uh, Mount Olympus, as I said, was 9,000 feet above sea level. So about 80% of the time, they tell me over here in Greece, about 80% of the time, you cannot see the top of the mountain for the clouds are in the way. But good news, we were part of the 20%. We could see all the way to the top. And at the top, we could look down and we could see the Aegean Sea and all of the different villages down there. So it it was quite a sight. It, it really was. And so what I want to do is, is take a look at some of these gods in Greek mythology, and then I'd like to take a look at Jesus and see just how different he is from these gods that we cannot depend on. And again, small g, it's not a true god. It's not true at all. And uh, we know that, so we need to live like we believe that. For sure. Now, in Greek mythology, there were 12 gods, as I said, and the head of the 12 is Zeus. How did he become the head? Well, Zeus overthrew his father, Cronus, and after overthrowing his father, he drew lots with his two brothers, Poseidon and Hades, to see who would be the supreme leader among the gods. Well, Zeus won and was known for being the lord of the sky the rain god, and the one who had a habit of hurling thunderbolts at those who, who kind of got under his skin. Now, these 12 gods were known as the Olympians. Kind of wonder where that, that, that title comes from. Next year in, in uh, France, we're going to have the Summer Olympics, and Olympians will be coming to, you know, run and jump and box and everything else. They'll be doing gymnastics and so forth. And once they've been a part of the Olympics, they will be entitled with the Olympian. They are an Olympian, not necessarily a gold or silver or bronze winner. But nevertheless, they're Olympians. Yay, okay? And these gods were known as the Olympians. And 12 Olympians are the major deities. So their names are Zeus, Poseidon, Hera, Demeter, Aphrodite, Athena, Artemis, Apollo, Eris, Hephaestus, Hermes, and either Hestia or Dionysus. So some of these names you're probably somewhat familiar with, but others might be kind of new. Well, while Zeus beat out his brothers, Poseidon became the god over the sea. Maybe you remember that movie, The Poseidon Adventure. He became the god over the sea, and his brother Hades, who received the worst lot, became the god of the underworld. Hestia was Zeus's sister, and uh, according to historians, she really didn't have much to do. She was the god of the hearth, the home. Hera is Zeus's wife, and she is the protector of marriage. Ha ha which is funny because Zeus was promiscuous. So anyway, his wife was the protector of marriage. Ares is the son of Zeus, and he is the god of war. And later on, you know, in the, uh, the Roman Empire, we know that Mars was the god of war. And so uh, Ares is a bloodthirsty god, but considered by most to actually be quite a coward. Athena, you know, the city Athens is named after Athena. That's another daughter of Zeus, and she she has uh, no mother. 
Now, she is the god of the city. She's the god of the city. She's also the god of handicrafts and agriculture. And another son of Zeus is Apollo. Now, Apollo is kind of different because Apollo has an awful lot of things that are credited to, to his power and his, his influence. Apollo is considered the god of music. Now, certainly in our culture, we, we can make music a god in our life, for sure. He played a golden lyre, and he was also an archer, kind of a sportsman. We can make a god out of sports, to be sure. And he shot with a silver bow. Now, the god of healing, uh, he was the god of healing who taught man medicine. And he was also the god of light and the god of truth who could not speak a lie. Sounds like an interesting guy, doesn't he? Apollo is his name. Now, there's also Aphrodite, and she's the goddess of love, desire, and beauty. Now, we know for sure that our culture has made a god out of, out of promiscuity, out of sexual behavior. Uh, you can see this in our entertainment. You can see this in our schools, in our government, and so on. In addition to her natural gifts, she has, and get this, a magical girdle that causes anyone she wishes to lust after her. So she's quite talented. That's Aphrodite. There's Hermes, and he's the messenger of Zeus. And the reason for that and you, is that he's the fastest of the gods. Maybe you've seen him depicted as wearing the sandals with wings coming out of the sides of the sandals. He also carries a magic wand. Now, Hermes is the god of thieves. He is... Uh, uh, the god of commerce and a guide for the dead to go to the underworld. And he invented, he invented the, uh, the lyre and he invented the pipes and the musical scale, astronomy, weights and measures, boxing, gymnastics. And he had a little, little side hustle going on olive trees. He seemed to know a lot about olive trees. Busy guy for sure. Now there's Artemis, and uh, Artemis is the daughter of Zeus and the twin brother of uh, Apollo, and she is known for being the lady of the wild things. She is the huntsman of the gods. She is the protector of the young. And then rounding this off, we have uh, Hephaestus, and he's the son of Zeus and Hera. He is the only god to be physically ugly. Boy, that's rough. And he's also lame. Some claim that Dionysus, the god of the wine, takes the 12th place rather than Hephaestus. But that's up for debate. Totally up for debate. Now, the difference between the gods, these false gods of the Greeks, and the god of the Bible is that the Greek gods live above the clouds. They are above the clouds and they treat humans rather poorly. They really do. They scoff at humans. They distance themselves from humans. Wouldn't have anything to do with humans or be compared with humans. And they, they take advantage of humans. The God of the Bible, on the other hand, Yahweh, comes down from the mountain and dwells among us. I want to take a look at that on the other side of the break and take a look at how the God of the Bible is so different than the then the mythological gods in Greece and the gods that we have created in our own culture today, which so often disappoint and steal hope from our hearts. So we're going to take a look at that. You are listening to The Jeff Caven Show.
Hi, my name is Father Mike Schmitz. I wanted to let you know about an exciting announcement that could revolutionize the way you listen to the Bible in a year and the Catechism in a year. Ascension has released a new Bible and Catechism app called the Ascension app. No, here's what you get. In this app, you get the entire text of the Great Adventure Bible. Just incredible. You also get the entire text of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, as long with the Catechism in a Year podcast and the Bible in a Year podcast, and transcripts for each episode. If you're like, I'm tired of listening to that guy, I just wanna read it. There's complete transcripts from each and every episode. One thing that makes this app incredibly unique is that it includes special features that make connections between the Bible and the Catechism so crystal clear through color-coded references and all these links. The hyperlinks are amazing. I tried it out, I'm like, oh my gosh. It kind of has changed the way I read through the Catechism, kind of changed the way I read through the Bible. These features will help you navigate the Bible and Catechism even more seamlessly so you can get more out of your experience. Also, the app provides almost 1,000 answers to Bible questions, that people who listen to the Bible in a year, they wrote in with their questions, almost a thousand answers. And those answers come in the form of audio clips, video clips, as well as resources excerpted from some of Ascension's published works. If you want to download this app for free, super simple. Just go to the app store and search for Ascension app. I am telling you, if learning about the Bible and the catechism is important to you, then this app will change your life. Welcome back. We're talking today about about the fact that Jesus is no Olympian. Who are the Olympians? Well, they're the 12 false gods in Greek mythology. And while we say, well, Jeff, I don't believe in those false gods, when we really look at our lives, we might find that we have actually made gods of sports and technology and sex and entertainment and everything else because we give so much of our time to it and our, our heart to it and our, our thinking to it that it is, in effect, a God that we serve. But I would argue that it is a God that will never pay, never really pay off and, and give you what, what you really need deep down in your heart. So I was mentioning this prior to the break. In, in contrast to the false gods of Greece, we have Yahweh in the Bible, who comes down from the mountain. He doesn't stay above the clouds, but he comes beneath the clouds down to dwell among Israel, the people of Israel. In the Old Testament, God dwelt in the midst of his people. You remember the tabernacle, and God would come to them in the tabernacle. He would lead by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. And all of Israel would surround the presence of God. And the purpose of God being in the midst of Israel was that Israel would become like God. God made himself accessible. He made himself available so that we would know who he is and we could depend upon him because he's faithful. In fact, he has covenant faithfulness. We call that chesed in Hebrew. He is faithful to his covenant. He is not a God who just does whatever he wants to do at all. You can count on him. You can count on him. He doesn't say that I will love on Monday and Tuesday. He's somebody else. He is consistent, as the New Testament says, yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same. So this God, Yahweh, is the one who's accessible and exercised mercy, compassion, and assistance in living. And in an act of sheer kindness and sheer love and beauty, God becomes a human, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, second person of the Trinity. God becomes a human 
And he lives among us, and he shows us how to walk with the Father, and ultimately he takes on the punishment for sin, our sin, and he dies a death instead of us, and then invites us to become sons and daughters and to participate in the love of the Trinity. You talk about different. This is radically different than we find than what we find in the uh, the Greek mythology. It is so different. And so today I can take and you can take great comfort in knowing that Jesus is so much more than the Olympians of mythology. Again, I'll say it, Jesus is no Olympian. Uh-uh. He is God and he's the only God. And he's the God who loves you for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So Jesus is the real deal, the all-sufficient, omnipresent, omniscient God who loves us. The Olympians, well, like the modern gods of music and technology and sex and sports and business, they have nothing to offer but empty dreams, empty promises, and stolen hope. There's a scripture that says hope defers. Hope hope deferred makes the heart sick, and doesn't it? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And you put your hope in the gods of this world or the pantheon in Greece, man, you're going to be disappointed. It's, it's enough to be taken advantage of by other people, but who needs to be taken advantage of by false gods? Now, Jesus appointed the 12, the real 12, and I think, I think that's interesting. In the Old Testament, you have 12 tribes. And then in the New Testament, you have 12 apostles. And the uh, Greek mythology has 12 gods. Copycat. So Jesus appointed the 12 to do what? To go out into the world and contribute to Jesus' messianic mission. To be lights that shine as witnesses of who God is and his faithfulness, his word, and we are to become like Jesus. And that's what discipleship is all about. We've talked about that many times on the show in the past, that we are called to be witnesses and to let that light shine. We are called to live with the mind of Christ. What we do and what we say should be what Jesus does and what he says. And so, You're chosen, my friend, by God. You're chosen by God to reflect him in the world. And hopefully you can say that when others see you, they see Jesus. Now, to kind of conclude this today, I want to encourage you that if you're putting more hope in the things of this world and what's important in this world, may it be sports or sex and promiscuity or technology Uh, entertainment, whatever it might be, don't put your hope in the false gods of this world because truly you will be disappointed. But I know this, you will never, ever be disappointed in Jesus who is faithful yesterday, today, and forever. And so if what I'm saying today fits and you need to make that change in your life and to say, I've had it with putting my hope in sports, then make that change and put your hope in Jesus Christ. May Jesus be the center of your life. Now, I like sports as much as the next guy, but I'll tell you what, when sports 
and your own team losing ruins your day or your week, hmm, you might want to check your, your heart. You might want to check your heart. Because even if my team loses, I know this, Jesus will never disappoint. He'll never disappoint. Let me pray for you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, I lift up my, my friend to you today and I, I ask you, Lord, to help them search their heart and see where they are as far as their commitment. Who is God in their life? I pray, Lord, that you'd show that to each and every one of us. And if our hearts are truly depending on the God's small g of this world, we would make a change. We would repent and we'd put our trust completely in you, Jesus, who, who, doesn't, who doesn't disappoint. Lord, we love you and we, we want to move forward with you as the only one that we worship and the only one that we put our hope in. We thank you, Lord, that you do not disappoint. In Jesus' name, amen. Name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, thank you for blessing your people. And my friends, I'll continue to pray for you while I'm in Greece here. Hope you can go on a pilgrimage sometime with us, Emily and myself. We love it. And we love spending time with you either in, in Israel or Greece or France or Poland, wherever we end up. So have a wonderful week. Look forward to talking to you next week. Music